Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Well, Dave, you heard it here first. The I said there's a piece from Rolling Stone about the, the CD boom. Didn't I, we talk about it? Didn't you predict this on this I, very podcast? Never mind you heard it here first. I said it here first. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure I wasn't the first. But I've been going on for, for a little while. I think actually during lockdown I've been going yeah. on about, you know, because on the rare occasions when I go into town, I always buy a CD. And, you know, I just think, CDs are due for some kind of comeback, come yeah. back into favour. And there's a big piece in, in Rolling Stone, I think it was a big piece I read somewhere else, uh, you know, uh, ringing the bell for the same phenomenon. And, uh, you know, there's, there's loads of people trying to trying to argue for the unique properties of the CD. I, I don't know if they're that unique. But the fact is that at the core of this, it seems to me, is you have to have one physical format that's roughly affordable well and it's then affordable doesn't and it doesn't take up a lot of space absolutely and, you know, and it sounds incredible and i know it's funny i was reminded of this the other day just how much you value the physical format when i received a copy of this in the post this is the new half man half biscuit all right, right. Record, right sent by nigel blackwell uh of of the group and uh it's so sweet and various people uh nigel tassel and stuart McConey, various others have, have have printed their little notes that he's written and there's a handwritten note this is so old school this is a guy i think i'm not sure if he has a computer uh he certainly doesn't have a mobile phone he certainly doesn't do any any social media this is a piece of kind of old school lined paper torn in half so as not to waste any and the note's so sweet he says ahoy there mark i hope this finds you in good health and i apologize in advance should that situation change upon listening to our latest caterwaul <laughs> and this is it it's great with tracks like I'm getting buried in the morning, which has the immortal line, uh, see you later, Undertaker, in a while, necrophile. That's oh, good, God. isn't it? <laughs> I know. And there's Test of the Dormobiles about this 
incapacity with this girl who has a van. She's, she's Betamax and he's VHS. They don't really get on. Midnight mass murder. Oh, it's terribly good. It's fantastic. But isn't that, that's lovely. The idea that you receive the record physically with a little note, handwritten see, note. That's, it matters. But the great, the great argument for the CD or the LP or anything, as yeah. opposed to streaming, is it's just a simple old thing. It's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that if you haven't got the physical thing somewhere near you, it's very difficult to think, oh, I feel like You're hearing that, that or whatever. You know, because everything else is just they're just kind of numbers out there And it doesn't seem somewhere. like an event, does it? Clicking something and just listening no, to it. No, I suppose Putting not. it on. You know. So anyway, you know, we, we uh, you know, we were ahead of the game on that one. <laughs> we were ahead we of the were. curve we were. in predicting the comeback of the CD. I must throw in this uh, piece of correspondence from James Wilkinson. I thought you might like it. Uh, he says, did you see that Woody Woodmansey has been left out of the lineup for the upcoming tour of Holy Holy. I saw they're, that. They're very good David Bowie tribute band he formed with Tony Visconti. Tony Visconti's band, that's right. On account of him being unvaccinated. Is this a first instance of a band losing a member due to medical differences? Because uh, various people have refused to play venues that uh, insist on COVID passports and all that, but has anybody been booted out of a group for... For uh, for they're a probably, vaccine, I don't know. Not to they're probably knowledge. there probably has been a case. How much right. do you have to care to 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 feel? How strong do you have to feel to to to, to edit yourself out of a group in a tour like that? It's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? You think you <laughs> well, go along with it. If you know any any more examples, we want to hear them. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So that link of Mike Campbell talking about the making of. Boys of Summer, fantastic. We've both seen it. It's it's fantastic. It's just eight minutes long. What a brilliant talker! And he he's a really good talker. He's really and he speaks unedited for seven or eight minutes and just explains how they came to make the Boys of Summer. And it's one of those amazing things where you hear these songs, you've heard them a million times, and you just imagine that they were always terribly considered and refined and organised and came out of the box and were just you know they just polished them up. And no, this was a kind of spontaneous, almost an accident, really, wasn't it? Well, he, it's, he, it's he, a, when is there's sort of 83, 84 or something yeah. like that. He get, he gets, okay, it all starts with um, him and Tom Petty used to go over to Leon Russell's house because Leon, you know, they kind of knew each other, you know, and this is before they'd really happened. And uh, there was a guy called Roger Lynn who used to work in Leon Russell's house and used to disappear into a back room regularly. And they used to say, what's Roger Lynn doing in there? He said, he's inventing a drum machine. And they all went, wow, what's a drum machine? <laughs> it's extraordinary to reflect. I know. In the early 80s, that was still a and this very, was, in fact, the Lindrum. Very yeah. strange concept. And, of course, he got his first Lindrum, and um, Mike Campbell managed to managed to buy a Lindrum from him at mate's rates and took it home. And as, as will, musicians will do, he just tinkered with it. He just played with it again and again and again. And it's a classic case of what Alex Gold frequently says, is that what musicians like most of all is a toy. <laughs> yeah. They like a new piece of equipment. And that was an absolute classic case. So, he, you know, he, there was no instruction manual. There was nobody to tell him how to, how, to, how to use it. He just sat there, sat up all night, he says, playing with this until he developed some kind of rhythm pattern that he just liked. You know, it was within his capability. And then he started playing a guitar figure over the top of it. And eventually he thought, 
you know, I've got something catchy here. The, you know, it's the beginnings of something here. And then he took you to Tom Petty and the Heartbreaks, didn't he? And he they took it to Tom Jazzy. Took it to Tom, Tom Petty like and Jimmy, Jimmy Iovine, the producer. And they said, they said, well, it's too jazzy for what we're doing at the moment, but there's something there. And so later on, Jimmy Iovine uh, gets in touch with Campbell and says, you've been talking to Don Henley. Don Henley is making another solo record and is looking for ideas and songwriting partners and so forth. Here's, why don't you take it to him? So it's all kinds of things in this story that maybe want to stop and, and just reflect on, the, on you know, the reality of musicians' lives. So Mike Campbell goes over to Don Henley's house, and he's never met him before. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, you, you tend to think that songwriting partnerships start from me. You know, mates, there's a rapport between them. No, he didn't, he didn't know the guy at all. He took along his cassette of his, uh, of his drum machine pattern. And uh, he and Henley sat at the different ends of a long table. And uh, he gave it to him and he put the cassette in the cassette machine. And Henley, he says, listen to the whole thing without cracking any kind of expression. No, he thought all. he hated it, didn't he? he, he, he it. And then he it, went home and I think the next day Henley rang up and said, I have written the best set of lyrics I've ever written in my he, life. I think it was less than a day. He, says. Amazing, he rang him it? up. Really then I think all sorts of technical problems happened that he tried then to to make the proper recording. He had to load up the drum pattern on a cassette and it wouldn't load. It wouldn't load. And it looked like he was going to lose it. And therefore the entire song was in the balance by what some miracle it loaded. You see, this is, this is around it. about the same time, yeah. Mark, that you and I used to do stuff on Amstrad computers. That's do you right. Remember? And frequently, journalists used to ring you in the middle of the night saying, I'm distraught. I think I've lost my 5,000 4, words on Devo. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. And you'd have to you'd talk them down like suicides off a ledge. You know, yeah. there's a way we can preserve this. Well, Mike Campbell found himself in a very similar position with his, with his golden little track for Boys of Summer. Yeah. He thought this is going to be. And he finally got it to load. And he said to them, quickly, tape it. You've only got one go, you know. And so they did this, and then they started making the record. And there was about a week to make the record. But and then they then, were mixing it, weren't they? And no, but hold on a second. It, first, of all, first of all, before they get to the mixing stage, Henley says, I've decided I want to sing it in a different key. It'll be better if we sing it in a different key. So then he has to go back and tinker with this thing yeah. so it can work yeah. in a different key. And that takes ages. And then when they get to the point where they're finally mastering this thing, he notices they're running the tape and then they've got the, the mastering machinery here, the disc cutter or whatever. And there's tape spooling out of the machine. The, the, backing, the backing is coming off the tape. He thinks, this is going to get lost again. And then it some guy manages yeah. to put it back together again. And... Uh, and this absolutely golden record comes out of all this tinkering and confusion. And as Mike Campbell reflects, he says, that song's been very good to me. It actually bought my house. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a beautiful moment. It ends in the moment, doesn't it, when he is in Don Henley's Porsche and they hear it on the radio and it's played by, I don't know which radio station it is, three times three in times. succession. And he thinks, that is a hit record. It's just lovely. But I love that. I love that whole thing. I love that thing with accidents, that serendipity about records, don't you? And it, it's also it, fascinating. It, it draws attention to the fact, as we frequently reflected here, that that 
making records is above all a collaborative process. You know, it's not it, it's not one genius in a room having no, a brilliant idea. That's the song. It's the records are completely of, different things. It's loads and loads of people pitching in with loads of different things. And of course, the other thing that struck, struck me when I was I was listening to it this week and reading about it because I've just become obsessed last week uh, with this, is that, um, is that one thing about the Boys of Summer's success in, that mean, meant a lot in America, doesn't mean anything in Britain at all, is the title, The Boys of Summer, and it's in the lyrics, you know, my love for you will still be here after the Boys of Summer have gone. The Boys of Summer is the title of one of America's most cherished and celebrated sports books. It's a book written by, I think, Roger Kahn in the 1970s. So we don't have that connection at and all, but I didn't it, know that. It's about, uh, and the, the Boys of Summer is about uh, the uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers team of, of, the, uh, of the mid-50s and what happened to them afterwards. So baseball in America is... It's like cricket. It's it's actually nostalgia. That's that's the opinion yeah. of it. Baseball people always think life was better back then, you know, the golden days. That's right. And so the boys of summer as a title has that kind of emotional freight to it, you know. So, you know, he took that, quite rightly, he took that, you know. So Don Henley clearly has a huge part in it. Clearly, Don Henley's a remarkable singer, and he, you know, he, he, he wrote a really good song. But how many people contributed to that, uh, to the, the kind of masterpiece that eventually came out at the end of it is, is just amazing to reflect upon. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink, and it's like being in the pub. Oh, we're joined by uh, Patreon supporter, legend of the word in your ear, massive, Mr. Keith Edsley, <laughs> on the occasion of his birthday. You know, there are there are major events in the calendar. The Queen has two birthdays. I'm sure Keith eventually his movie is going to move to a similar position. But it is your birthday once again, Keith. <laughs> Yes, thank you very much. It was um, congratulations, congratulations. But thank you very much. I was yesterday. How did you celebrate this great event? Uh, well, I was working because it's market day. Of course. Remember, I uh, am an esteemed trader on St Albans Market. In so, good standing. Um, that was that was very good. So market day, and then came home and uh, a very nice uh, Alex would approve uh, homemade vegan sausage mash and onions meal. You can't beat smo sausage mash and onions. <laughs> Uh, and that was, and that was vegan smoke. sausage, Re- homemade. Mark, my 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 lovely Julia had crafted the vegan sausages herself. All right. What's the good. principal ingredient? Um, you, it's it's actually um, made out of seitan, and seitan is effectively uh, seitan. Uh, there's, there's a place in Hackney called the Temple of Seitan. Actually, very nice vegan <laughs> restaurant. And uh, it it would be in Hackney, wouldn't it? It um, would. I mean, that's what does Satan? Is that is that an acronym or what is that? Where did that come no, no, from? No, 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 no. So, so basically, it's it's um, made out of uh, gluten wheat flour. So if you think of anything that's gluten free, this is the polar opposite. So all right. the gluten that comes out of <laughs> gluten free, <laughs> they go and put it towards the Satan. Satan it goes in a big heap, and <laughs> uh, and basically it's um it's flour, and you can make uh, meat or sausage or stuff like that. So we do. You kind of combine it with other things, herbs and spices, uh, and then you steam it into a sausage, and then you fry it or grill it like a normal sausage. 
So, um, the, so those, those were your birthday festivities. So today is was, dedicated to uh, just recovering, presumably. Uh, yes, it's dedicated to uh, recovering. We usually go uh, do a long walk uh, on a Saturday, on a Sunday and Monday. Doing it tomorrow, but today we're having off. It's been a bit grossy it's, out. It's been a bit What's your filthy. definition of a long walk? Um, so on a Monday and a Sunday, we do about uh, 13 kilometres, about oh, seven right. miles. That's a, That's a serious walk. Do you know who the great wow. walkers, the great walkers in rock are? Do you know, Keith? It's a select list, this. There is a select list. Um, it's quite interesting. Kimberly uh, Roo. Really, Kimberly Roo. Kimberly Roo of, of Katrina, you know, walking walked, on sunshine. walked right around the entire coast of Britain. Oh, I'll tell you another, Art Garfunkel. This is what I was going to say. Art Garfunkel yeah. walked, right. walked across America, I think, on more than one occasion. Yeah. Didn't uh, even, like, walk to China or something. <laughs> something astonishing. Just he has got the advantage that he's about six foot two, so it takes less than less time than <laughs> knocks a week off it. <laughs> Paul Simon Billy would have called a slightly longer time. Billy Bragg, but Billy <laughs> Bragg, yeah, go on. Well, I mean, I mean, not quite rock, but on the fringes. Um, Stuart McConey was head of the Ramblers. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, Stuart's yeah. a serious Rambler, Rambler yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think uh, Janet Street Porter was a was well, a she was a yeah, she yeah. predecessor of uh, you know, in that office, I think. Yeah. yeah, but they particularly go and ramble really pretty places, don't they? Yes, <laughs> really, yes, not really photogenic places. I tell I you, always, uh, it's not a, not a rambler in rock, not a walker in rock, but he's a well known walker. Is Will Self is a well-known walker, yeah, isn't he? He is. Will Self made this, did this whole thing, and I'm not quite convinced by this. He says that if you don't walk someplace, you don't know it. You don't really have contact with it. And so he did this thing in the States where he would fly anywhere to go and publicize his books. But once he got the airport, he would walk into the city, you know, which very often quite can... Yeah. That is, and you're walking down some horrendous this kind is, of, uh, you know, is, there's freeway. Nothing to, there's nothing to walk on in a lot of cases. They've kind of removed everything to walk on. So anyway. That's Another great walking. walker, very quickly, Tom Holland, the historian. Tom oh, Holland yeah, of course. walked recently, didn't he? 45 miles across London, going visiting all sorts of sites. He's Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, Keith, have you got any quick questions that you want yeah, us to Yeah, anything you'd like to raise on the occasion of your birthday? Yes, yes. I was I was thinking about this the other day, and obviously, um, music—the uh, way music is produced, the way we consume it, and the way technology has moved forward has moved vastly in the last fifty or sixty years. And I mentioned before, when, when uh, in one of David's books, he mentions about sounds room, where you'd sit yeah. probably high, find you sit <laughs> central between the speakers. And the key thing about growing up was all about stereo. Oh, have you got a new stereo? I want to upgrade my stereo. And it was all about listening in stereo, so you got the left and the right channel. Well, now, kids either listen to kids, here's me, grumpy old man in the corner, kids either listen on a phone and may not have headphones or a Bluetooth speaker. And it seems to me we've lost, we've lost the concept of the left and right channel. I think, you, I, I, I think, I think you're right, actually, Keith. I, I, I'm not, my, my offspring, I wouldn't call them children, they're grown up, they never remark on that kind of thing, of the kind of position that they occupy with relation yeah. to, to the sound. But then again, there's kind of expectation that the sound will be good and it'll be kind of rounded and, you know, there's a certain kind of sound that emerges, you know, you're very, I've got one of those little Bose speakers, you know, those, yeah. those Bluetooth speakers. And that's mono, but it's really good mono. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, 
I'm not knocking that they're really good, but I'm thinking, you know, with, with the advantage in technology and you could, I mean, my, my oldest is a musician and um, he kind of mixes and records everything through his Mac, like a load of people yeah. do, you know, and um, that's amazing. But I've made sure he and my younger son have both got proper, proper hi-fi setups. I bought them all separates with turntables. and everything. You bought them all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you will bloody well listen to the stuff on this. <laughs> None of your ridiculous iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a really good point to people because you know if you listen to uh, i don't know sort of steely dan records or something like that where we were kids you would hear because you're listening to them often on, on headphones you would hear tiny details uh little steely bits of dan, instrumentation that you'd never noticed before steely dan exactly because it follows on from a from a um a question i, I put in a, a pod about three or four weeks ago when i said I, I bought a new amplifier, not not brand new, but a, a, a good old Mr. eBay, um, a Marantz amplifier. Other amplifiers are available. Um, uh, the price of your amplifier may go up or may go down. Um, I've, I bought this Marantz amp and I played Jack of Speed by Steely Dan, yeah. which is absolutely phenomenal because, it as is. you say, Mark, you get nuances left and right, and it's and it's a great thing to test it's an on. It's incredible, right? And, and, and I don't, although saying that, you know, we are going for people listening to Steely Dan aren't going to possibly be um, 17 to 25. They may be. It might be their parents or possibly grandparents yeah. have, have suggested them. But they're going to – I don't think the music that's produced today, they get the full benefit and appreciation from. I know I'm, I'm a, a grumpy but don't you think? But don't you think, if you look at the history of recorded sound, the technology has changed absolutely all the time. Oh, phenomenal. And every time it changes, people think it's changing for the better. It's just changing for different, really. Yeah. <laughs> very, very often the case. And you know, you know, people don't they don't have hi-fi setups, but I think I think a huge number of younger people do listen on headphones nowadays. I mean, people spend money on headphones that previously they use uh, amounts on headphones. Yeah. That previously they used to spend on a on a home system, don't they? It's oh. been hundreds of pounds. You Absolutely. Know, with, you could- you could spend. You could spend. I, I always get um, purely just 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 to gloat one of the hi-fi magazines every month, just to just to have a read on. Uh, and yeah, there's there's headphones in there for like five, ten thousand pounds. I mean, I mean, I spent. I've got a, a, a couple of decent pairs that weren't anywhere near that. You know, like just over a hundred, but they're still perfectly, yeah. perfectly good. And see, and, my and, old old uh, in in a in a magazine editor is coming out of me now. You'd immediately think you want to write a piece about that. You want to get somebody to to, to listen to the same record on a ten thousand pound headphones, five thousand pound headphones, right down to you know this kind of thing, and and note what the difference was. I'd be really interested. Well, it's all so sub- subjective, and yeah. I think it's all it's all to do with what you know about what you're listening to, and what you know about what you've paid for what you what you're listening to. Yeah, Danny. I mean the other the other interesting fact I would say is obviously. Um, with the re-emergence of the vinyl boom, obviously, you know, the likes of us have never left the vinyl boom. Yeah. But people, I don't know, 18, 19, and they like the idea of vinyl and they've seen it and they buy themselves a vinyl player, not a turntable, yeah. a, no, vinyl, a player. vinyl player. Yeah. Well, that's usually a small box with built-in speakers and they're probably going to get the same, if not worse quality, than just from a, a pair of, you know, iPhone headphones or from a pair of headphones. So... Yes, they've got a lovingly warm, uh, you know, a thing that gives you a lovingly warm sound when it's played on relatively good stuff. This reminded me of when I was I was 
going through my collection the other day and looking at tubular bells. And on the back of tubular bells, it says down the bottom, uh, along the lines of, um, this must be played on a popper hi-fi, not on a tin box. If so, hand it into a police station. Is it really? <laughs> on the bottom of tubular bells, on the back of the sleeve, back of the sleeve, it's got that. I'll take a, I'll take a copy of I'll take a photo of it later and I'll tweet it. That's like really stop. interesting. And that that will start a, a this will run and run actually. Instructions. Th this is open to everybody, actually. Instructions on the back of records about how you should play them uh, and so forth. You know, we were talking recently we were talking, the, we as a, a record that was made to be loud. This played record must be played loud at low volume. Well, I can't yeah. remember what the record Where was. was it? Was it Dr. Feelgood? I, I, I can't No, I don't think it was Dr. Feelgood. Uh, whatever. But little instructions written about yeah. how you might play stuff on records we want to hear them. I'm sure you've got your own samples that you can add to the conversation. Keith, Ed, thanks very much for joining us. And thanks it's a very pleasure much always. for raising that important burning issue, which will now animate the massive over the next week. And uh, obviously, you've had a good birthday and have a good recovery day, Keith. Yes. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Bit. I like that uh, that picture you, you tweeted that was sent to you um, of the two football players. <laughs> it's a real old heads gag, isn't it? It's two guys. You can just see the back of their shirts. This was their... Both Cardiff City members, I think. Uh, in the defence, are they? Aren't they the defence? They are the defence. They are the defence for Cardiff City. So they're, 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 their defensive pairing is... is okay, in, Mark. Here it is. It's McGuinness Flint. Isn't I'm sorry, fantastic. but to me... <laughs> And to you, to people of a certain age, that is hilarious. Alex looking blank, absolutely blank. I was starting to think there must there's got to be more of them. There must be like a Manfred and a man. You yes. know what I mean? Or a or a hall and an oats. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, that's what we want. Ben, well, you Spurs, Spurs have got a son. So all you need is a Mumford. There must be a Mumford yeah. somewhere. Get them together for the Vokra. Just, just get one in for one game. Maybe all those Ben's and a Ferdinand. There's yeah, got to be somewhere. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I love so, it. But so, actually, on that note, go on. I, I don't know if I dropped into a bit of the um, Kidderminster Harriers game against. Um, against West Ham yesterday, the FA Cup tie, which is amazing. Had Kidderminster won, of course, it would have been, I think, I'm right in saying, the most historic defeat uh, in in the entire history of the FA Cup. Because that, that's fighting talk. 115, 115 levels places, below them. Places, like not levels. Surely, no. Not places. Places, oh. I say, that's right, levels. Yeah. Sorry, places, places. But um, no, but the, the crowd, the camera occasionally panned in on Kidderminster supporter Robert Plant, which I he's thought was bit, really great. Well, he's a, he's a local. He's that's local, yeah, that's his, and all that. They're near, but they're, uh, but Kidderminster, I think, is his kind of patch, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. He it no is. doubt lives out there. But I thought um, that was really commendable because, you know, you get all these kind of Ed Sheerans going on about Chelsea and Adele, about Spurs, and, you know, <laughs> I, I, do they They might go. I think it highly on something in Adele's case to live in this country. But there's Robert Plant, you know, in a place that has, it's a 6,000 seater, only 3,000 seats, and there he is, probably with his pucker pie and his, you know, watery pint of lager uh, in disguise. He has, I remember meeting him at John Peel's funeral and he, he has this disguise, which he puts on this woolly hat and stuffs all his hair inside it. And uh, I was really impressed that he was there. No, good man. Definitely, definitely. That's definitely. good, isn't it? Good for him. Good for him. So, Alex, uh, any other business? You sent me this thing from, is it from Giles Fraser? Is yeah. it? Giles Fraser, oh, yeah. Five in five. Go on, set this up for us. Tell us about this. So, it's all about um, all the bands, all the artists that have made five consecutively great records. I think in five years. In five years. In five years. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so... I don't know. I've got I've got a list in front of me. I don't know if these are the ones that you sent through to you. So it's got obviously the Beatles between 1965 and 69, Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sergeant Pepper, The White Album, and Abbey Road. The Rolling Stones between 1969 and 74, Beggars Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, Exile, Main Street, Goat's Head Soup. Oh, I don't know. Goat's Head Soup. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pushing it a bit. I think you might. I think you've the wind there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then if you go but if you try and go for earlier in the stones uh, you end up with their satanic majesty's request so you're terrible scuppered record. you're scuppered each A way you go record. the who between 1969 and 73 tommy who's next quadrophenia oh he says doubles count too i think oh, oh I, I didn't think. know about that <laughs> Elton John, nine albums, including Elton John, Tumbleweed Connection, Madman Across the Water, Honky Chateau. Nine albums in five years. Well, he did, he put out an insane amount of records, didn't he? There was, I think, in 1971, I think there's three Elton John records. Yeah. Uh, wow. There's uh, there's uh, Madman Across the Water. There's, and also it gets complicated because some records came out slightly later in America than came out in Britain. You know, that's that's what happened in those days. And there was, uh, there was a soundtrack to, to a... <clears throat> movie you got friends and so forth anyway he also mentioned steely dan 72 77 can't buy a thrill countdown to ecstasy pretzel Katie lied the royal scam and asia do that are those old 72 73 those are good records that they're, works for me they're good records but then you know they're a bit slimmer the pickings are a bit slimmer after that aren't they alex although you did suggest El- elvis costello 77 to 82 yeah <laughs> 
my aim is true this year's model armed forces get happy trust an imperial imperial bedroom um these are all giles's suggestions by the way oh were they all dylan dylan another side of bob dylan bring it all back home highway 61 blonde on blonde um what was after that john wesley hardy that those they, they were all within five years weren't they that's a good that's there a must good. have been a longer gap i tell you be, anyway, it, it actually on. don't qualify because it didn't make five albums but produced four albums within five years which was the smiths all four yeah. of the smiths records are great and hatful of hollow i suppose you could call that fifth is also a really amazing record you see i think the, the charles is asking the question will we ever see this again the answer is no no because people okay, make records another one People don't make records far more slowly now than they used to do. They, they used to. I mean, the Beatles made so many records because for most of their their career, they made two albums a year. Yeah, it was only a year of Sgt. Pepper that uh, ninety six. No, they put out no album at Christmas sixty six, did they? Um, which was unusual. They yeah. put out the uh, collection of Beatles oldies instead, and uh, it's quite interesting though because I was thinking about. We've been we've been in this bloody war has been going on for two years now. We three have been staring at each other uh, via Zoom <laughs> since since the great unpleasantness descended. Two years, okay, almost. You know, it's coming up in a few weeks' time, isn't it? It'll be two years. Yeah. And you think, what did the Beatles do in two years? I know. <laughs> It's incredible, isn't it? It's Hard Be- Day's Night. To what the, Be- the-, the Beatles were recording Hard Day's Night. I worked this out the other day. I think it was April 64. They were recording Hard Day's Night in April 64. And in April 66, they were recording Tomorrow Never Knows. It was great. But yeah, but did they put out over 100 podcasts? I think not. Ah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. there you good. go. There are a load of people who produced five really great records in a row. Leonard Cohen did and Nick Lowe did, but they didn't do it within five years. I mean, Leonard Cohen made a handful of records in his entire life, doesn't he? Well, about every 10 years or whatever. Yeah. But then I was also thinking, you know, we were discussing earlier, you know, the, the great story of, um, of the, the writing and recording of um, The Boys of Summer. And I, I think it was a turning point in all kinds of ways, you know, because they obviously worked on it quite a long time. And I don't think anybody you know, in the years before then, you know, certainly in the 60s, the early 70s, nobody worked on a record that long. And I think now you can you can either you can agree with me or disagree with me, Alex. I'm particularly looking at you here. Okay. Okay. In the days of studios and kind of you booked your time and so forth mm. and you, you turned up with your instruments and you played, there was a limit to how long you could spend making a record. Once you're making records in your own studios and once you're involving kind of toys, you know, rhythm machines, I don't know, all kinds of things, you can go on forever. And so that's one of the reasons why records for the last 30 years have taken far longer to make than they used to, because mm. it's kind of it's kind of indulgence, isn't it? And you were talking about this the other day. We were talking, I can't remember what we were talking about, talking about preparing to make albums. You said people do pre-production nowadays. Well, surely yeah. the Stone Roses story 
Is that magic? Isn't that a very good example of that? They went into the studio in Cornwall, didn't they, for their second album? Went out for, went out for a quick cheeky spliff, and then five years later, they... five years later, that's right. And, oh, and the they, record. They kept saying they didn't have the right amps. They didn't have it's just this displacement activity, and it was yeah. weeks of bringing in new drum machines and drums, sort of just a bit of equipment and amps and stuff, and then before they even started recording. So I don't know. Too well, much that, choice. There comes a point where. There's, a, there's, a, there's an old saying, um, a mix is never finished, it's merely abandoned. I'm sure. And yeah. That's kind of how it, how it works. And yeah. I, I think with increasing budgets and better studios, the inclination has been to hold on to this notion of your perfect vision for longer and longer and longer. Um, I guess the anomaly is the Beatles, because obviously they had the run of Abbey Road, yet they... They only work slowly later on, because they... Yeah. And, and yeah. actually... And at the time, you know, I can remember, and Mark will be able to remember, when Sergeant Pepper came out, they said, they've done an, a scarcely believable 500 hours in the studio yeah. or whatever. And you think, nowadays, people do that on a B-side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that about a just, just seemed ridiculous at the time, because when the prior to that, the Beatles had been, you know, they, you had a certain number of weeks to make a record, at the end of which you had a tour. Or you had to do a telly, or you had your Christmas show fixed up, and um, and the amazing thing is, even when they had the run of the studio, as you say, they kind of got on with it. You know? they, were, they were a live band though, and a band's. Well, they weren't in '69. They weren't. They weren't. They weren't in late '66, '67 because they'd stopped that totally. But they still kind of got on with it, you know. They never wasted any time. No, I don't think they did. Extraordinary things like Yellow Submarine. That wasn't a waste of time. It's just a huge, great experiment in, in creating lots of kind of sound collage and and sound effects and nonsense. But it was all it all finished up with the record. Whereas Pink Floyd spent ages bringing in bits of equipment, didn't they, and then trying them out. For oh, it. absolutely, it didn't work. Absolutely. Well, the famously, didn't they start recording? And uh, and your mate uh, John Leckie was working with. Yeah. And I can't remember which record with those. And they've just recorded a track. He said, he said, what shall I put this down as on the tape box? And they said, nothing. And so he wrote, nothing. And then they did another track. And he said, what shall I put it down as? So nothing too. You know, yeah. they, were just, uh, they were just kind of mucking about. Yeah. They didn't, we don't know how, we, you know, we'll recognize where we're going when we get there, kind of thing rather than having any, any objective. But also, if you're working in the old-fashioned way, you had a George Martin standing there going, tapping his watch, saying, when are you going to finish this? Yeah. You finished it. <laughs> Whereas if you, can, if you can noodle on endlessly, and also I've always had this theory with bands, that they get nervous about releasing stuff. They like, they like making it. They don't yeah. like putting it out. Because as soon as you put it out, you're going to get it in the neck straight away. Yeah, you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged. And also yeah. you think that the longer you can procrastinate, the better you can make it, which is often absolute nonsense. Oh, Bruce Springsteen being a really good example. Oh, absolutely. You're going in later on and just removing all the things he'd overdubbed, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what else is there in any I've got one business? quick query. Go on. Go on. Probably to you, really, David, because I, I don't know if Alex Harvey's your bag magic, but Alex Harvey, who I used to love, uh, died 40 years ago uh, on the 4th of February, 1982. And my question to you is, and I saw the Alex Harvey band only once, you know, singing Next and doing Delilah and doing all that kind of 
German cabaret rock, you know, and Sal Clemens with his painted face and Alex kind of hanging off the scaffolding, you know. And uh, has there ever been anybody, is there anybody continuing that? Was there anyone like him before? And has, has there been anyone like him since? Because I don't know, I watched I watched Next on Whistle Test, the Jacques Brel song, uh, that little clip on the day he died. And it's phenomenal, actually. It's an amazing performance. But it's not rock music. It's that's admittedly that's not that's an old cabaret song. But he's so unusual and different. I I have to confess, Alex Harvey kind of passed me by. Passed you by. And uh, but clearly, you know, people really admired him and loved him. And yeah. clearly, he was he was a complete one-off. Uh, and you know, in answer to your question, was there anybody before? I, I, not as successfully before, I don't no. think. And. Uh, and kind of nobody since, really. Yeah, you know, he was always the guy. He was a big guy at festivals, wasn't he? he yeah, was he kind was. Of, you could put him on in front of even the most hostile crowd. He'd win them over, and he'd win them over. And also, he was so much older than I. I realized is, you know, when I is, saw him. Yeah, yeah, you know, I saw him. He was nearly forty. Nearly 40. So he didn't kind of really have any real success until he was 38. He was born in 1935. It's five years. He supported the Beatles at one point. No, uh, they supported Johnny Gentle, who was those Beatles. His back. Oh, then. right. The Beatles. And, uh, and even then he would have been, God, I don't know. He just, you know, he was seven years older than Paul McCartney, which is astonishing. Really. Yeah, it is there really. Isn't it? It's, so that's 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Pretty much now. Okay. So, um, one thing on any other business, which I we don't stress anything like enough, is that it really does help if you uh, if you review these things or give them a thumbs up or whatever it is on your whatever is your podcast carrier or or whatever platform you happen to be on, all that kind of thing really does make a difference. So you know if you if you listen to this and you enjoy it, please register your approval somewhere. And if you'd like to be one of our Patreon supporters, um, details are at patreon.com uh, slash word in your ear. And we I think jo- we should plug the Will Hodgkinson oh, word in your attic because yes. it's so good. We, we interviewed, um, we talked to Will, who's the, he's the uh, music critic of the Times and an author, and he was just, it was just terrifically good. It was very good. He told this great story about, about choosing, oh, there's a lesson here, choosing music to be played at your wedding reception. Yeah. And he had Alone Again or by Love, I think, when they're walking up the aisle. And then he asked the DJ to play a particular song, which is Lady Jane by the Stones, because his wife... Which is her. from... Sorry, I'm gonna, we're going to drag yeah. this out a bit. You will know, Stones fans, that is from Aftermath, okay? So it was playing it from a copy of Aftermath. Now, if the DJ got it wrong, what's the worst possible <laughs> track in Aftermath that he could choose instead of Lady Jane. Over to you, Mark. Well, you're probably ahead of me here, listeners. It was under my thumb. (laughs) So uh, Will said that his his fiercely Presbyterian father-in-law was not amused by this. (laughs) So it was a tribute. So he says, please silence we're going to play this song and the first dance is about to be you know and, and, and the wife and that was know, coming down the aisle wasn't it? it was coming down the aisle i got that I, I think it might be or it might have been the 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 the, the, the big opener for the uh you know for the two of them you know at the at the reception but kids under it's, my thumb you can never rehearse too many times it yeah. doesn't matter what it is it's like something the, from a richard curtis movie <laughs> 
Because if he can go wrong, if he can go wrong, it will go wrong. It will wrong. go wrong. And, know. Um, you know, the Murphy's Law, isn't it? As yeah, we used to yeah. call it. Um, anything further to add? We've got new, a couple of new Patreon um, um, supporters. Is that right, Alex? Do you like to read out their names? We have you got do, them there? Indeed. Yes, I do. Uh, we have. Uh, on board, Martin Pridmore. On board, Martin. Martin. And goes on board is more than just a metaphor with this particular podcast, because one of the three of us is currently on, on board an ocean liner Indeed. on the briny, and it's not me and it's not Mark. Okay? <laughs> so, so when he says on board, he knows whereof he speaks. Okay. And any more? Number yes. two? Skipping up the gangplank is uh, <laughs> Rob Collis, who's a birthday patron. All right, okay. So that means uh, we'll be shinning down uh, Rob's uh, digital drain pipe at some point in the coming months to uh, market birthday by inspecting his record collection. Very good. Um, uh, Patreon supporters can also look forward to a new exclusive service. That, have we launched this yet, Alex, or it's coming it any day now? Dropping this week. <laughs> dropping. <laughs> dropping, as, dropping, as the yeah. kids say. Dropping. Which is... Z in it, as in dropping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is called Down the Rabbit Hole, uh, wherein we uh, pursue our, our strange, un- arcane rock and roll enthusiasms. Hopefully, to your edification people. and amusement. So... Patreon.com slash word in your ear to find out more about all of that. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.